You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 62, The Election of 1964. In this episode, Lyndon B. Johnson blows Barry Goldwater out of existence in the most lopsided victory in election history. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, it's pretty insane, the things that have happened over the past year to 18 months, in, uh, at least back in 1964, at the point we're talking right now. Yeah, what do you do when... In November of 1963, the incumbent dies. And not just dies, but is assassinated. So it's obviously traumatic enough when the leader of the country passes away. But when it is surrounded by so much mystery and doubt and controversy as well, that makes it even tougher. Yeah. So you have President... Lyndon Baines Johnson. He is sworn in on Air Force One right there in Dallas just a couple hours after the president dies. And of course, Jackie Kennedy, the first lady, was right there next to him. And the funeral happens for the president. So Johnson really loses no time in his presidency where he says, hey, I'm going to continue the legacy of John F. Kennedy. We're going to get this civil rights legislation quickly passed in his honor. And there you have it. Yeah. And Johnson, like Jason said, just quickly starts doing everything right, essentially, at least right in the eyes of the nation. And he becomes insanely popular, one, because the president he took over for, JFK, was insanely popular. And he's just got a lot of policies that he's continuing from Kennedy's Uh, administration and implementing other ones that are already popular in the nation. And like Jason said, the civil rights movement at the time was absolutely huge, of course, and he was very much in favor of progressing that as well. Right. And so this is kind of a shift with the Democratic Party, because if you remember, if you're a Southern Democrat, there's a pretty good chance that you're actually for segregation. Such was the case of the governor of Alabama, who was George Wallace. So you have Wallace, who is a Democrat. He's running against Johnson because he's like, no, this this, this is not going to happen. So that's pretty much the extent of anyone who's going to oppose LBJ. Yeah, and Wallace actually runs in a few different primaries and does pretty well. Uh, He gets... Maryland, Indiana, Wisconsin, um, he gets pretty good control over those. And actually, at the uh, end of the first kind of set of primaries, 
Johnson isn't winning. He's not he's not winning the overall nomination process. But quickly then he comes back, of course. Wallace decides without having the overwhelming support of the National Democratic Party to form his own party called the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Oh, that's a mouthful. So the MFDP, yeah. to be short. <laughs> so he has the this new political party for these southern states, basically. And they claim all of the delegates for the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and the confusing part about it was that people wanted to split the seats for Mississippi and have some seats go one way and some go another way. And there were concerns that maybe some of the seats would go towards um, the wrong candidate as far as the the ones that the majority wanted. So there was a lot of confusion happening in the national convention simply because of this MFDP. Right. So you had basically a splitting of the Democratic Party, but then you also had the Republican and we're not talking about the Republicans quite just yet, but it does factor in because Goldwater was very much of the opinion that states should determine all of this. Anyway, you had Johnson basically carrying the entire South with the exception of Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and South Carolina. And then just a side note, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until fairly recently that we're seeing some of this era's changes uh-huh. be, being implemented. I remember I went to college in South Carolina, and this was in the mid to late 90s, where the Confederate flag actually flew above the state house. Yep. And you saw this happening uh, mainly from these states that supported Wallace, where up goes the Confederate battle flag. Yeah, and there's still flags. That, uh, there were still flags even as close as last year. They were still flying um, on state grounds as well. Right. So Johnson also has a little bit of trouble from Robert F. Kennedy, which is JFK's younger brother. He's also the Attorney General of the United States. And Kennedy and Johnson don't quite get along. Uh, Kennedy was a Senate staffer at one point, and Johnson was the leader of the majority of the House. And pretty much he um, he just didn't like him because, well, simply, <laughs> Johnson made his dad look bad. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So you got Johnson. He's busting on RFK's dad. And what happened was there was a story where Johnson and President FDR misled Joe Kennedy when he was the ambassador to the United Kingdom. So Joe Kennedy flies back to the U.S., and he's thinking, okay, Roosevelt wants to meet in Washington. They're going to have a friendly meeting. But Roosevelt is like, no, you're fired. Because Joe Kennedy had some pretty well-publicized views. And this hostility was rekindled back in the 1960 primaries, as well as the convention, which we covered. So RFK really tried to prevent Johnson from becoming JFK's running mate. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And it left both men pretty bitter. Yeah, there's even a story that just a few hours after JFK was assassinated, Johnson, the vice president, turned president, 
calls Robert Kennedy, JFK's brother, to ask him to remind him of the exact language of the constitutional oath of office, which let's pretend like it wasn't spiteful. Isn't there somebody else you could call? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So it's 1964 now, right? It's... A long time since, but not really. Right. So Kennedy is telling LBJ, hey, I'm going to be your running mate. And later on, Johnson is like, "Mm, no. No. Actually, all of the cabinet members um, who are part of the Kennedy administration that Johnson kept around, they're out of there. And RFK, you're not going to... You're not going to mess this up for me. Yeah. So needless to say, it was kind of a tense relationship and kind of a tense situation in general because just because of the state of the nation at the time. Needless to say, though, uh, LBJ was pretty popular. Uh, the person who did become the running mate for Johnson was Hubert Humphrey from Minnesota. Uh, he was a civil rights activist and uh, he chose him as his running mate kind of to get the well, I mean, he was a civil rights guy, but also to get the people from different parts of the country uh, on board with his platform. Yeah. You want to talk about the Republicans, Jason? Yeah, why don't we? Okay, cool. So if you're a Republican, it's 1964. You're pretty unified, right? Mm, no. <laughs> so in the 60s, really, the leader of the Republican Party was Richard Nixon. I mean, he was the vice president under Eisenhower, and he ran a hard-fought campaign in 1960. Yeah, and he's got some ties to the conservative and the moderate and the liberal factions of the GOP, the the Republican Party. And so he had really been able to kind of bring everybody together back in 1960. And the fact that he was kind of not quite out of the mix, but not as much in the forefront as... um, as as he had been at one point, really made it possible for everybody to fight a lot more. (laughs) And that's never a good thing if you want your party to be cohesive. So uh, you've got Barry Goldwater that comes along, and he's a senator from Arizona, and he's really the guy who's all about the conservatives. He is Mr. Conservative himself, and he's just going to kind of idealize (laughs) what conservatism should be in the mid-1960s. Yeah, because up to this point, true Republican conservatives were from the Midwest. And with Goldwater coming from Arizona, you start to see elements of conservatism become popular out West as well as the South. So when we say conservatives, what we mean is they are for low taxes, a small federal government, and really the elimination of of the big government welfare programs. Right. And so the problem we're talking about with the conservatives versus the moderates and everything, um, the conservatives just really hate the fact that the moderates have taken over. You know, they want to go back to the roots. And the moderates, they're kind of rubbing it in their face because they've pretty much in the primaries defeated all the conservative presidential candidates at the conventions for the past I don't know, 20, 25 years or so. And so this really kind of creates a uh, crazy dichotomy. The the conservatives also made the statement that the moderates in the Republican Party are pretty much just liberal Democrats. And 
they're not really Republicans, which this sounds really familiar to today, actually. Right. And what I tend to think of when I think of um, Republicans from this era who were more of the moderate, I kind of think of Daddy Warbucks from Annie. Mm -hmm. You know, he's from New York and he had a lot of money and it wasn't so much a conservative liberal thing, more of a I'm a New Yorker and rich New Yorkers are Republicans, which kind of was the case up until around this period. So uh, speaking of big money, Nelson Rockefeller, who was the governor of New York, he was the leader of this liberal to moderate faction of the party. Right. And Rockefeller is initially, at least, kind of considered the front runner. And the problem is, though, in 1963, he gets married, and he'd only been divorced for about two years from his first wife. So he marries Margarita Murphy, and maybe this wouldn't have been a bigger problem. But then on top of that, she's 15 years younger than him. And on top of that, she just divorced her husband and pretty much uh, gave up her four children for custody. And so this kind of makes everybody talk a lot about extramarital affairs and what does conservatism mean? What do we Republicans stand for? The female voters in the GOP are um, really unhappy, of course, uh, as this is almost definitely shady business happening. Right. So social conservatives say, no, thank you, Mr. Rockefeller. So after his remarriage, Rockefeller's lead falls by 20 points. Overnight, mm-hmm. you got Prescott Bush, who is the senator from Connecticut, who, by the way, is the father of George H.W. Bush. He's like, quote, have we come to the point in our life as a nation where the governor of a great state, one who perhaps aspires to the nomination for the president of the United States, can desert a good wife, mother of his grandchildren, divorce her? then persuade a young mother of four youngsters to abandon her husband and their four children and marry the governor? So if you're a social conservative at this point, no way are you going to vote for this guy. Yeah. In case you didn't know the answer to that, um, that question is posed. No. (laughs) No, we're not at that point where that's okay, is what social conservatives at the time, and probably even some some liberal conservatives and liberal Democrats would even agree to, uh, especially at this point in the 60s. Um, Rockefeller and Goldwater, though, they're in the, the New Hampshire primaries. The, uh, the crazy thing is the voters are like, oh, yeah, so Rockefeller and Goldwater, we know both of them. Uh, how about instead Henry Cabot Lodge Jr.? Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll vote for him. <laughs> and he's a write-in, and they still vote for him, and he wins. Yeah, New Hampshire's a pretty crazy place. It is. <laughs> it is for sure. So... Yeah, so Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., he's Nixon's running mate, and he wins as the write-in, as Ben said, and he goes on to win Massachusetts and New Jersey, but then he withdraws because he's like, no, I really don't want to have the Republican nomination. I can't be bothered. (laughs) He's too busy being the ambassador to South Vietnam. Which... which If you don't know much about the 60s and Vietnam, it's kind of a big deal. So Goldwater loses New Hampshire, but then he takes Illinois, Texas, and Indiana. 
And really, by the time Nebraska rolls around, he's got it. He's the winner of a number of state ca- of a number of state caucuses, and he's just picking up delegates left and right. The final nail in the coffin for Rockefeller was his wife gave birth to a new son, Nelson Rockefeller Jr. And this happens three days before the primary in California. And everybody at this point who had been kind of like, oh, yeah, Rockefeller, yeah, he's, he seems pretty good. He's a, he's a pretty good conservative guy. They're all of a sudden re- reminded of the accusations of adultery and of the whole thing with divorcing his wife and his new wife being so young. And all of a sudden, he loses all his ground in the polls. But, well, not all his ground, but a lot of his ground in the polls, all of his lead at least. And Goldwater wins by like 2%. And Rockefeller is just out. He's not got a chance anymore. So Rockefeller is out. And the more moderate to liberal Republicans are like, hey, William Scranton. Yeah, you, the governor of Pennsylvania. Um, come, please, and run against Goldwater. But the Republican convention is starting and Goldwater wins. The The nominee becomes Goldwater, and along with him, his running mate, William E. Miller. So, you ready to talk about the campaign? I sure am. Okay, so Goldwater is like the conservative's conservative, and he's really done a good job in capturing the, the hearts and minds of those people who are carrying the conservative banner. Sure. Unfortunately for him... Right before the Republican convention, he votes against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. By the way, that's that that was a good thing that, that passed. Uh, and he loses a lot of the moderates. He loses anybody outside of the very hardcore conservative party. And Johnson's like, well, got this passed through. It's signed into law. Cool. Yeah. Anytime you can say, hey, I voted for the Civil Rights Act and you didn't, mm-hmm. you can paint the other guy as a racist. And now, that's exactly Gold- what Johnson did, for sure. Yeah. Now, to Goldwater's credit, he did support the civil rights cause in general, and he actually voted in favor of the 1957 and 1960 Civil Rights Acts. So don't want to throw him totally under the bus. However, he considered desegregation a matter for the individual states rather than a national policy. So, mm. yeah, I could see the point there as a as a small government conservative would would see it. But come on, it's civil, it's civil rights. But anyway, moving on. We don't talk about politics here, right? Uh, right. <laughs> so Goldwater also is pretty badly hurt by the fact that a lot of moderate Republican governors and prominent governors are. Let me start over. Goldwater is also pretty seriously hurt by the fact that a lot of prominent Republicans just won't support him. You've got a few different uh, governors who kind of step up and back him, but most of them are just not going to do it. And this is incredibly difficult for Goldwater. If you can't get the support of some of the most notable Republicans in the country, you're going to have a tough time. Yeah, and he didn't really hold back at all with his mouth. (laughs) He would say uh, comments like, I sometimes think that this country would be better off if it could just saw off the eastern seaboard and let it float out to sea. And (laughs) he said about um, the Soviet Union, Uh he said the U.S. military should lob 
a nuclear bomb into the men's room of the Kremlin. Uh, okay, we're not, not exactly friendly with the Soviet Union, but come on, that's that's pretty harsh. Yeah, definitely. So President Johnson, eh, he's a Democrat, but he does a pretty good job at positioning himself as a moderate, and maybe he even turned into more of a moderate at this point, and pretty much says, Goldwater, you're an extremist, you're a racist, uh, you don't believe in government, get out. And so since Goldwater had all these crazy things he said, even though a lot of people agreed with them, you wouldn't want to say them out loud. It became kind of an easy target for media campaigns. Right. So probably one of the most notable advertisements from the campaign, which a lot of us do remember this from history class, is a television commercial that Johnson aired. And it was called the Daisy Girl ad. And this little girl, she's picking petals from a daisy and as she's counting the petals, the countdown segues into a launch con- countdown and a nuclear explosion. So these ads were in response to Goldwater's advocacy of tactical nuclear weapons use in Vietnam. Yeah, and if you can imagine, uh, think about the time, maybe some of you were alive during the time, where everybody has Vietnam on their mind. They've just heard that one of the major presidential candidates talking about use of nuclear bombs and then go go watch the daisy girl ad um i know if you youtube it you can find many different versions of it go watch it it's it's it'd be pretty impactful if you were uh paying attention much in 1964 and uh there were other ads as well there were confessions of a republican which is another ad that johnson put out and it pretty much is just a guy talking and he tells us, I previously voted for Eisenhower. I voted for Nixon, but now I'm worried about people. Well, specifically he says, I'm worried about men with strange ideas, weird groups, the head of the Ku Klux Klan, because all these people are supporting Goldwater. Right. So the Democrats basically, well, LBJ, (laughs) namely position Goldwater as the right wing French candidate. And It was very much one of those situations where mm, either go with the guy who has led the country here in these last few tragic months. He's he's really continued Kennedy's legacy. Or are you going to vote for this clown? Yeah. And the fact that a lot of people at this point were kind of happy with the way their lives were going. A lot of people were also having a, a little bit of unrest over Vietnam. But LBJ decides that it's really important to just get people to come out and vote because he's pretty certain if they come out and vote, he'll vote, they'll vote for him. So all his ads end with come out and vote. The stakes are too high for you to stay at home. Uh, and this is super impactful. Yeah. So you ready to talk about the results? I believe I am. So the election was held on November 3rd, 1964, and Johnson blows Goldwater out of the water. He gets over 61% of the popular vote, which is the highest percentage since the popular vote became widespread in 1824. Yeah, really, Goldwater only won Arizona, which is where he's from, and then a lot of the deep south states, which would be Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. And 
realistically, this is the best best that any a person from the Republican Party has done since Reconstruction, but still didn't give them enough to win. Right. So what ends up happening in this election that's really worth noting for the Republicans is the once solid South for the Democrats has now flipped into the Republicans' favor. So these deep South states are now voting Republican, where they hadn't done this since Reconstruction. Yeah. And a little bit of trivia, this is actually the first election that the District of Columbia was able to vote in because of the 23rd Amendment to the United States Constitution. Man, we should have done an episode on that. Yeah, why not? All right, so there you have it. The winner of the 1964 election is Lyndon Baines Johnson and Hubert Horatio Humphrey. I think I would vote for that guy just based on his name, period. I know. Um, I'm what's wrong with America. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you want to be what's right with America, we suggest that you head over to electioncollege.com slash survey, where we've got a few questions for you to ask about the future of Election College, the future of other podcasts that Jason and Ben, that's that's me and Jason here, might want to do. And it'd be really helpful to get your responses on those. Yeah. And don't forget, while you're being awesome and filling out that survey, to head over to iTunes for about 30 seconds and leave us a star rating and a review. It means so much to us. You can do that by going to electioncollege.com slash iTunes. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. And again, that address is electioncollege.com slash survey. We will see you next time. We'll see you.